Some people love Shakespeare, others not so much. But a Shakespeare adaptation is always a good time. Constellation Theater at 14th and T is featuring a musical called Desperate Measures. It's based off of Shakespeare's play Measure for Measure, but it's set in the Wild West. A gunslinging nun teams up with a sheriff and a saloon dancer to save her brother. Buy tickets now at constellationtheater.org. The show runs through March 17th. Once again, that's constellationtheater.org. Today on CityCast DC, pandemic-era changes in where people live may be messing with DC's budget. Self-driving cars may soon be messing with DC's roads. And lots of folks are hoping that the new Washington Commanders owners will mess with the team's name. I'm here with Dan Reed and Priyanka Tilvey to talk through the news from this final week of summer. Today is Friday, September 1st. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. So our friend, Junaid Deal, uh, had a piece in uh, Axios DC this week about, which noted, it, it cited a study that said the district government has lost $1.6 billion in taxable income between 2020 and 2021. This is like a 7.6% drop. This is the result of people relocating spurred by the pandemic and all the changes that came with it, being able to work from home, being able to work remotely, et cetera, et cetera. This is in line with other big cities. And just like in other big cities, the people who left had disproportionately higher incomes, so the hit to the local economy was larger. The inner suburbs uh, saw a lot of the same stuff happening. Uh, the good news kind of is uh, DC made up some of this because the people here, were their incomes went up. By a lot. By a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but... I mean, there's sort of two things going on here that I think are super interesting to a lot of the stuff we care about, even if you don't sit around thinking about municipal budgets. Who doesn't, though, you know? <laughs> I know Dan Reed does. <laughs> yes, yeah, every Friday night, you know, what else to do? <laughs> <laughs> like, number one is just sort of like, what kind of city this is going to be? Is it going to be a place with an empty downtown? Is it going to be a place with vibrant streets, et cetera, et cetera? And then the second is, you know, I think... Look, at the city had kind of uh, been losing population for decades and decades. And over the last 20 years, it has gained a tremendous amount of people. It's gone up by like 100,000, 150,000 people. And I think a lot of people's assumptions, not just like the people who make city like long-term budget plans, but like people building buildings or thinking about opening businesses here and stuff. A lot of people's assumption was that that population would continue to rise. And I think the pandemic, uh, the changes in work because of it, some of the scary stuff about crime going up and whatnot. All of this has kind of maybe changed some of those assumptions and people aren't quite sure what's going to happen to the population. Maybe it'll return to, to what it had been and go back up. Maybe it won't. And that adds like a a big chunk of uncertainty to thinking about sort of what to do. So it's sort of a weird moment. I, I was really glad to see Junaid's story. Yeah, the good news is the population went up a teeny bit last year by about 3,000 people. So there, like, could be some reversal happening, but it doesn't mean that the tax issues that are occurring aren't, like, structural. Yeah, I think, like, the the pandemic fundamentally changed the equation for why people choose to live in certain places. So, like, people used to move to cities because 
their jobs required them to and the types of jobs that were in cities were particularly luring to a certain type of person. I mean, I think that's especially true for D.C. I think so many times when you have that conversation with people here about like, why did you move here? It's not like, oh, I just wanted to live here, which you hear a lot in New York, for example. In D.C., it's I came here for a job, right? So if people aren't coming here for jobs anymore, we need to get them to come here for other reasons. And I don't know what those reasons are going to be. Right. And I I think it's going to be a little while to sort all this out. I mean, it could be the pandemic happened, a bunch of people like moved to, you know, wherever they, whatever sunny location they wanted to spend the pandemic in, and now are kind of back just because the sunny location wasn't home forever. It was like a little adventure. And uh, and so you'll see the, the numbers return, but we just don't know. That's true. The other part of the story that kind of freaks me out a little bit is what it's going to mean about our tax structure. And here's another like thing that I'm sure people are thinking about on their Friday nights, fun stuff. But like, one thing that's really interesting is that the way that this might impact our like tax structure in the area, because the thing is that the, the city is going to have to figure out other ways to get revenue if this trend doesn't reverse, right? And so like we had that interview that Mike did with Tristan Navarro from the Washington Business Journal about how D.C. is losing jobs and businesses to Maryland and Virginia. And as part of that, he mentioned that there's like this proposal for a new tax for renters who are working from home, like so people who have jobs in D.C. but aren't living here. And so like that way, like the city still kind of gets like a form of tax from those people. So I think it's interesting that they're considering these types of solutions. It it suggests that there is a fear that people aren't going to come back in the numbers that we need. Right. And of course, when you try to mess with taxes, there's some percentage of the population who are uh, sensitive to that in the sense that like they're kind of on the fence about whether to stay in town or not. And if they see that tax or some other tax for that matter going up, they will leave. I, you know, I, my sense is that's kind of always overstated by anti-tax people. That most people who, a lot of people who have a choice and live in the city are doing so because they want to, and they're not, you know, a couple percentage points here and there is not going to push them. But, you know, everything adds up and it's particularly at a time when a lot of people are feeling a lot of economic anxiety and there's a political campaign where one side says they want to fire huge amounts of federal workers and so on. Anything that boosts people's worries about being able to pay the bills is not um, good. So this is like sort of, it's all kind of approaches the urban doom loop territory where the, the absence of people creates problems that uh, you know, it becomes a vicious cycle, right. and schools get worse, or the streets get dirtier, or whatever happens when you have when you don't have as much money to to play with. I think we're still in a moment of just uncertainty, rather than being sure that that's the way we're headed. My like weird bad news of the week on the same in the same sort of constellation of things was the Daily Grill closed uh, in downtown DC. Now, you know, we have a lot of food episodes with like critics and like none of them are gonna be like mourning the place. (laughs) But my sense of the Daily Grill is that nobody traveled downtown in order to go to the Daily Grill, right? Mm. But it was a place that people went who worked in offices and were taking meetings or were going out with their office mates or whatever. That that's like, that was its function. And so if that's not happening as much, you're seeing the effects of that. I'm not so worried about like Russica. I'm not so worried about like special occasion or awesome, you know, creative restaurants. But that that sort of seemed like a little sign of like office life and uh, downtown work life. That's so true. So how do we get people back? Well, they they could go back to the office. <laughs> <laughs> there is that. 
Uh, I feel like the D.C. government and like other local governments have been begging the federal government to force that for like for months now. They sent another letter on Wednesday this week asking the federal government to be more forceful about an in-person work requirement. Literally begging. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a very desperate sounding letter. We'll link to it in our show notes. Yeah. Maybe I'm a strange creature because I, I do enjoy going to an office and we'll travel to Navy Yard where my office is mm-hmm. uh, just to be in a space with other people. But it, it confuses me that this hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, like the Washington posted a poll in April that said that 80 percent of federal workers in the area at least do not want to go back to the office full time. So maybe you are weird, Dan. Eh, Not news to me. (laughs) I mean, I guess another thing that people could consider is like a more lively downtown or like pedestrian zones, like they're considering building like revamping Pennsylvania Avenue as a pedestrian zone. Um, And actually, speaking of, we're collecting stories about that. Do you want pedestrian zones? Do you not want them? Do you love them? Do you hate them? Have you been to the ADMO pedestrian zones when they do that? Just everything about pedestrian zones. We want to know. We're doing a narrative series. So send us a voicemail, 202-642-2654. You can also text it. So just give us your opinions in any way you desire. The brand new Arbor at Tacoma is built for your most convenient urban living. Whether you want to enjoy the vibrant Tacoma, D.C. community or comfortably retreat into a sleek sanctuary all your own. The kitchens have striking dark navy and white cabinets, and throughout the home, there are wood floors and smart home technology. Some homes even have a private outdoor space. With a quick walk to the metro, you can easily head into downtown or stay close and enjoy the retail that's on-site. Located at 218 Cedar Street Northwest, The Arbor Tacoma offers brand new one and two bedroom condos starting in the upper 300,000s. Visit thearborattacoma.com for more information. That's Tacoma with a K. So T-H-E-A-R-B-O-R-A-T-T-A-K-O-M-A.com. So weird thing at this moment in in news is... Simultaneously, people worry about like who's coming to the office. Is anyone coming to the office and stuff? And yet, there's all of this conversation about like the building and expanding of like ways to get around downtown. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about metro and new things that can do with metro and so on. And in addition to it, like, will metro survive? And we're about to get uh, self-driving cars on the streets of DC. Self-driving cars, people don't know, it's it's a big thing in San Francisco now coming to a few other American cities, including Washington. Dan, you are our in-house transportation expert. What's the story? So uh, you might have seen videos on social media of people putting a cone on a car (laughs) in San Francisco to disable it. This is one of the ways that people out west have been protesting driverless cars because you put a cone on the dash of the on the hood of the car and it just stops moving so get your cones ready because <laughs> it's coming to dc cruise which is a company a subsidiary of general motors that operates driverless taxi cabs uh, announced that they're expanding from san francisco into other cities including uh, seattle and dc uh, which means that Basically, they start test vehicles, which go around the city without passengers or, or drivers to collect data and like map the city. Then they bring in a human driver just in case, you know, while they're still doing testing. 
And then eventually they'll introduce a ride hailing service with like limited areas, limited hours of operation, usually at night when there's less traffic. Uh, so at some point in the near future, you could hail a driverless cab to come home from wherever it is people go late at night when they're not thinking about taxes. <laughs> <laughs> so my favorite part of this has been watching these little driverless cars, which look, they kind of like the little Toyota Prius style vehicles, usually mm -hmm. hybrids, people messing with them. 10 cars stalled in the middle of an intersection in San Francisco and caused gridlock. One car drove into wet cement. One unfortunately crashed into a fire truck and injured somebody. So it's been kind of controversial in uh, California where they actually required the crews, like, reduce the number of cars they have on the road because it's a little chaotic. Yeah, it sounds like it. And I mean, I feel like DC traffic is pretty crazy already. So this would be interesting. So it's become a big a subject of like activism in San Francisco because uh, for, for reasons having to do with opposing like big tech companies on principle to this is taking away jobs from people who drive cabs or drive Ubers. Uh, um, do you see that happening in DC too? Uh, we are a, a city known for its history of nonviolent protest. <laughs> so I assume people are already brainstorming creative solutions to express themselves about or on one of these vehicles. I'd be curious to ride in one, though. My uncle, who passed away a couple years ago, was a DC cab driver, and I'm, I'm sure he's rolling in his grave to hear me say this. <laughs> Dan, what's, what's the downside? One downside, I think, is, you know, in the past... Like 10 or 15 years, as we've all seen, there's been a big shift in D.C. just away from cars, right? Making it, redesigning a lot of streets, making it easier for people to walk or to bike, adding bike lanes, adding bus lanes to speed up bus service, all in the name of giving people better options so they don't have to drive as much, right? Bike share, scooter share, things like that. And I can imagine some folks sort of see this as a step backwards, right? Like, we are trying to get cars off the roads, and now you're introducing more cars operated by a single company all at once that are not peopled and perhaps a little less accountable for what they do. What's the upside? The upside is, you know, we were just talking about people not wanting to go into the office, and part of the challenge or thing that makes going to a place unpleasant is having to get to the place. <laughs> and the idea is that driverless cars could make that a little uh, l less friction, right? Um, it could be cheaper because you're not employing a driver. It could be more reliable because the vehicles, you know, you don't have to worry about well, somebody having to go to the bathroom or eat, or it just shows up, right? And then once once it's finished. Uh, dropping you off, it'll go pick up somebody else. And theoretically, it might make it easier to get around in a car, particularly for those who don't have cars. I remember there was this um, episode of The Daily where they were talking about this. And what was interesting was that safety seemed to be something that people on both sides of the argument tried to use. So people who were anti-driverless car were saying that you can't trust the technology, it's not safe, there's no backup if, if it goes rogue or something or is just malfunctions. But then people on the pro driverless car side are like, humans are famously stupid at driving <laughs> and cause lots of accidents and technology would be more reliable and safer. So I thought that was that was interesting. Did you guys did you guys ever when you were kids read uh, Richard Scarry books? Yeah, of course. The the car getting stuck in the wet cement was like like the, my inner three-year-old was so pleased with that. <laughs> Me too. It's like that scene from The Office where Michael Scott trusts the deep GPS so 
deeply that he drives into a lake and he's like, the machine told me to do it. The machine told me to do it. People are bad at cars. Uh, there's there's no getting around that. You know, I, I thought about driverless cars this morning as I was uh, being slowly followed down a very narrow street with my dog by a guy in a big Ford Expedition SUV honking at me. And how desperately in that moment I, I wanted him to be replaced by a driverless car, which would just sit there <laughs> patiently waiting for me to walk my dog. <laughs> yeah. So do you think you'll be an early adopter of this? I don't know. I do like driving a car. Fair. <laughs> I enjoy driving a car. Uh, I look forward to people who are bad at cars or don't enjoy driving cars or riding in cars with a person to adopt this first. I'll do it like once for fun. But let's let's be clear. What we're talking about is not getting rid of like you or me or whatever other bad driver I can think of. You're talking about getting rid of like Uber drivers and cabbies and probably after that, like bus drivers and like Pepsi delivery trucks. In the near term. In the near term. And then only in the longer, longer, longer term will Dan Reed's personal vehicle wind up driving itself. Yeah. One of the strange things about this conversation is as recently as a year or two ago, you know, the conversation about driverless cars was about driverless cars replacing personal vehicles and promises that this wouldn't happen for a very, very long time because technology wasn't there. And now suddenly the technology is very there. There's a lot to be seen that we don't know. All right. Speaking of replacements, as uh, some of you may have heard, the Washington Commanders, our local NFL franchise, has a new owner. And uh, this has uh, delighted people. And now they're thinking about what's next. And one of the great hopes, it seems, of a lot of sports fans is to jettison the new name that was uh, adopted a couple of years ago and that now is associated with the much maligned Dan Snyder era. The name is the Commanders. It seems like there's a significant bunch of people who want to go back to the old name, which is a racial slur. That ain't going to happen. But there's a lot. It's like this, uh, I don't know, tea leave reading. Like uh, Josh Harris, the new owner, appeared on TV in an interview and he was wearing like a burgundy and gold polo shirt, the colors of the team, but it didn't say Commanders on it. And this was like, ooh, maybe this means he hates the name too. Magic Johnson, who's one of the co-owners, has said he hates the name. For the record, I hate the name uh, because Commanders is like, it's all the worst stuff about the military without the good, like, it's not like heroes or, or you know, warriors or anything. It's like the guy who bosses you around, the commander. I don't think that's like a great Washington look. But so Priyanka, you've been reading about this. What is going on? Uh, could this name actually change? Well, I mean, as you said, Magic Johnson hates the name. And on an interview um, on the Today Show, he did say that everything's on the table and that we'll see where we are with the name. He can't say for sure, but he did hint that they're considering changing it. Um, and as you said, I think everyone hates this name. I don't know anyone personally that likes the name The Commanders. So then there's a bunch of other names that people are tossing around, some of which honestly are just as bad, like the presidents. We don't want to be the Washington presidents. The First of all, that doesn't really inspire fear right. in terms of like from a sports perspective. And like also it's just weird to imagine a bunch of football players running around and being like, go presidents. Like, I don't right. I don't know who yeah. tossed that name out. That's like one step above like the Department of Football. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> funny. The secretaries of football. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like that more because at least it's a little like it feels like it's leading into the nerdiness of the city. <laughs> Whereas the presidents just feels like we're trying hard. Another one is Majors, which I guess works with Major Tutty, who is our mascot, which hopefully is another thing they will yeah. reconsider. Uh, that, that one's DQ'd immediately. No more Major Tutty. 
right? And so, yeah, by extension, I don't really like the majors either. Then people were throwing out the Red Hogs, which is kind of a tribute to the nickname, the Hogs. Um, So there was this like group of offensive linemen that were known as the Hogs. They were like on the team during the team's heyday, essentially. And so calling them the Red Hogs would be a tribute both to that group of players and also to the old name. I'm not sure how I feel about that one. It's got a nice rhythm with it, but it wait, is like zoologically, is there such a thing as the red hog? Is that like a, a species or, or, or are hogs ever red? I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not up on this. That's a great question. I have absolutely no idea. I'm not a zoologist. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the one that I think has kind of gotten the most traction, um, which is a name that also was considered when they were changing the name a few years ago, which is the Red Tails. Um, and that would be a reference to the Tuskegee Airmen, which was an all-black fleet of f- fighter pilots that flew in World War II. Their planes had Red Tails. And so that's what that name would be a reference to. Back in like 2020, 2021, when they were talking about changing the name to the commanders um, and this option came up, the Tuskegee Airmen Inc., which is like a nonprofit that's about honoring the accomplishments of those black veterans. They said that they would be happy to work with the Washington team. So if they still feel that way, that could be a cool option. I like that. It's got a good story behind it. Yeah, I like it too. Don't have to change the colors. Yeah, exactly. It's like an easy fix and also like a a nice meeting and like maybe we'll educate people to some extent, which would also be a very DC thing. We did get an email from a reader named Liz who wrote into our newsletter, Hey DC. She sent in a bunch of names that are just way more fun that I like. So one of them is the Washington Frederick Douglass, but like the nickname would be the Duggies, which Uh... is cute. Is that a good or bad sound, Dan? This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> the duckies is kind of cute. I mean, the man was an American hero, but like points for effort. Do you want to <laughs> do you want to reduce him to like a football pennant? That's fair. I don't know. Like it, it, a little. This feels a little bit like trying too hard. You know, at yeah, a certain okay, point, fair. like there's a reason teams have names like lions and bears and stuff. <laughs> okay, well then how about the rats? No. Which Ew. is another suggestion from Liz. <laughs> she also suggested the swamp dwellers. Uh, Ew. <laughs> Liz. <laughs> <laughs> I think these are jokes. Stop being so mean. And then, and then um, the Chacos for Chocolate City was, was another suggestion. Uh. I have a feeling that the likelihood of that one causing uh, unintended offense is probably pretty high. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, sure, I see that. Our production assistant, Susanna, wanted to shout out the title Washington Play because she points out that we have DC Spirit, which is one of our soccer teams, DC United, which is the other soccer team, and Spirit and United are both airlines. And so she thinks that DC Play, which would be a reference to the airline that goes to Iceland, would be a fun option for us to consider. That's so. fun. Yeah, it's cute. Here's my hunch. The season starts right away. And uh, if they're good this year, which is weirdly not impossible, all this talk will go away. We had on our pod like a year ago, Mike Weiss, the sports writer, came on. This is when when Snyder's still on the team. And he said something along the lines of like, winning is the ultimate disinfectant. And I have a feeling that if this team does well, all of a sudden this clunky name will feel like this beloved name. 
And that's just like in the nature of sports. Is it enough to rehabilitate Major Tutty? No. No. Goodbye to Major Tutty. <laughs> I will I'll give you uh, odds. If they do well, probably even if they don't, but if they do well, Major Tutty is going to be a fixture. Ugh. I'm not happy with this. Tragic. But... <laughs> Pig roast. <laughs> Dan, always good to see you, my friend. Thanks for having me. Priyanka, thank you. Of course, thanks. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producer is Julia Karen. Our newsletter writer is Kayla Cote Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, tell someone who has Josh Harris's ear. We want credit if one of our rename suggestions wins. I hope you have a great weekend. CityCast DC is taking Labor Day off, so we'll be back with you on Tuesday. Bye. For me, that took me to that scene from The Office um, where Michael Michael Scott, I almost said Michael Shaver. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Priyanka. I'm so sorry. Come on, man. <laughs>